Man, it is a packed house today. What a great morning. Goodness. Wonderful job. That was quicker than I had thought. I thought it was going to be a couple minutes. Hey, <laughs> kids, what's going on, guys? Say, woohoo, kids. Hey, I am so glad that you are in here today. Mom and dad, let me tell you something. Um, every week, um, I teach to 20 to 25 or so um, students who are much more distracting than any kid can be. I promise you that. So if you're worried that it's going to bother me that they, you know, that they ooh and all about what's going on up here, I understand, I know. No, if they, if they go off the handle, that's fine. I am used to that. Don't worry about me. Uh, and parents, can we all agree? Kids are in here today. It's just going to be a little different. So let's just get through it. Uh, we have some important things to talk about. We have the Word of God uh, to look at, and it will speak to us this morning. Uh, it will penetrate deep uh, because we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about uh, some ways that Satan kind of robs our joy. And so if you are a guest with us, uh, my name is Brent. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. I work with our students and our families. Uh, and so I am really honored to be speaking today and giving our pastor kind of a week off. He's been up here quite a bit. And so uh, we all want a break anyway, right? So um, I've given him a break and uh, I just know I can bless him that way. So here's what we're going to do today. Let's pray and we're going to dive in um, with a fun little uh, cute story. Father... God, thank you for showing up this morning in mighty ways, uh, in small ways, in the life of our kids um, that just teach us so much about grace and about mercy and about how to handle situations, how to handle conflict, how to handle the big things and the little things. We thank you for allowing them to be in here today for a body that welcomes that. We appreciate um, this place and what you have called us to do uh, into... Um, and the centering our lives on Jesus Christ, uh, not only in these walls, but in our community and the global kingdom at large. God, be with us today. Use me as a vessel as we look at ways um, that Satan robs our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin uh, of a story of a boxer who was in a championship match, and he went a few, round, a few rounds, and he was not winning. And so I won't spare you the details of what his face looked like, but you can tell this guy was not winning the match. Swollen eyes and whatnot. So he goes back um, after the bell rings, goes back to his corner, and he says to his, to his trainer, guys, you got to get me out of there. I mean, throw in the towel. I'm out. And the trainer's trying to be very uplifting and be very positive. And he says, man, that guy's not, not, not touching you out there. He's not laying a glove on you. You can do it. Get out there and do it. The guy looks up, his eyes swollen shut, looks up and says, well, then you got to keep an eye on that ref because somebody is hitting me out there. <laughs> Look, Satan is around whether we like it or not. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, but he also has sucker punches. He also does things to us, robs our joy in ways that we may not see coming, in ways that are hidden to us, where we may think something's going on, but we can't really tell what it is. 
And so Paul, I believe, in Philippians 4, will kind of give us some ways and in, in, in reactive ways to say, here's how God, or here's how Satan tries to diminish the joy that you are called and that you are commanded to have. Um, last week, Ross talked about how we are to live our lives as citizens of heaven. We are to act as people on the way to heaven, and we are to eagerly await from there the, the coming of our Savior. So we are to have in our mindset that we are no longer just citizens of this world, but also we are citizens of heaven. Those of us who have professed faith in Christ have somewhere to go. And that place is heaven. And Christ calls us citizens. So here's what I want you to do. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Last week we briefly talked about um, 4, verse 1, kind of bookends um, chapter 3. And he says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So in the midst of considering yourself citizens, considering yourself a life, trying to get to this place of heaven, in the midst of this, he says, stand firm. So expect opposition when you stand firm. The life of a Christian, the life of, a, of, of someone who is a citizen of heaven, the Bible calls this in Ephesians 6, we're going to go there in a minute, is this cosmic um, battle or struggle, if you will, not against flesh and blood, but of the spiritual kind. And so here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. I want you to write this down. We must withstand Satan's efforts to have us deny our citizenship. That is his ultimate goal, is to have us deny that which we are called heavenward. It's to deny that we are not only citizens here, but we are citizens in heaven. So Ephesians 6, let's go there real quick. When I read verse 1 of chapter 4 in Philippians, I, I think back into Paul's call to the church of Ephesus, which is kind of similar. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul wants us to be prepared. And so he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, things to put on, the armor of God to put on, to be prepared for the devil's schemes. To fight intelligently, if you will. To know that the devil is actually punching. To know that the devil is actually trying to rob you of your joy. And he wants you to be intelligent about it. He wants you to be prepared about what's going on. So one of Satan's most effective schemes, which we've talked a little bit about, one of his most effective schemes is, is he's trying to rob the church's witness by stealing their joy. By stealing Christians' joy. Philippians 4, go back to Philippians 4, verse 4. He's going to give us a huge command because he repeats himself twice in the same sentence. It doesn't happen often, but here it is. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, in the English, it's not as, um, it's not as interpretive. You, can, you interpret this as a command. 
In the Greek, it is a command to rejoice. It's not necessarily a feeling that we have. It's not necessarily something that some people are uh, sometimes better at, which some people are. That's truth. But it doesn't mean that those of us who aren't better at rejoicing get a, get a way out, right? No, it's a command to rejoice always, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on. Paul says rejoice. And if you didn't hear me the first time, I just said rejoice. So Paul's, this is a big deal, not only in the book of Philippians, but especially right here in this passage, it is rejoice. So how can we, as Christians, as citizens of heaven, be aware of Satan's attacks, but also be aware that he's trying to rob our joy? I think he, um, Paul gives us three areas, um, if you will, on how Satan tries to rob us of our joy and how we must take a stand to use this stand-firming language to take a stand against um, in the midst of on our way to our true citizenship in heaven. The first one, read with me in uh, verse 2. It says this, of Philippians 4. It says, I plead with Iota and I plead with Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So let me give you a quick disclaimer. Next week, uh, Ross is going to come and he's going to um, uh, preach about this particular passage. I want to hit the, the main idea in this passage and Ross can dissect it in ways that he does. And so uh, we will in, await next week to look at the, what's actually going on here. But here's the first way in which Paul is saying, take a stand against the devil's schemes, and that is this, take a stand against disunity. There is a disagreement going on here. That is obvious. Now, what's not obvious and what we don't know um, unless the Lord um, gives Ross a vision and says what's actually going on, and next week we can find out what's actually going on. But right now, we don't know what the disagreement really is. I mean, what we can assume is that it's not doctrinal. Um, Paul is not necessarily shy when he's calling out um, people who are uh, false teachers or someone who is wrong. In fact, he usually calls out them by name. And in fact, it doesn't even say who's right or wrong. It doesn't give someone who is in the right or who is in the wrong. So it's probably, to put it in our terms, it's probably something small, but yet big enough to Paul to write the letter about, or to a section of the letter anyway. So it's a big deal that they're not agreeing with each other. Today, we might say, I really like the ESV version. Well, the King James Version is the truth, man. That's, that's the real deal. So we got a disagreement. Or I, I really like that we've been singing more hymns. That contemporary stuff is just too loud for me. And you let it build up, okay? That's kind of how it would be like maybe here. Uh, back then, we don't know. It could be I like this Hebrew version. I like this Greek version. I don't know. But there's something not going on, not going right. Philippians chapter 2 says, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And so we can assume here that they were not getting along 
and they were not putting the other's interests first. And Paul says, somebody step up and take a stand. Now, if we remember, Satan wants us to deny our citizenship. He wants to live, us to live in such a way that we don't have so much joy, that we deny who we are and whose we are. So how can we live a, a life counter to that? How can we live a life that says, no, 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 I'm heavenward. This is different. I want to live a holy and pleasing life. How can we do that when we're bickering all the time? When we can't agree maybe to disagree, or we, maybe a better statement is when we can't be disagreeable. Charles Spurgeon um, had a friend in London called Newman Hall. He wrote a book called Come to Jesus. It was a pretty uh, famous book. Some of you may have read it. Um, and in the pub- after the publishing that book, he kind of put them on the map a little bit. And a local pastor in town wrote a response um, to that book, but also um, a pointed response about, uh, about Newman Hall. And it took a little bit of jabs. It was kind of nasty. And so people started reading this and things started catching along. And so people started talking about Newman Hall. Things that weren't necessarily true. It got back to Newman Hall. Newman Hall wrote a response to this pastor's original first response. And it was... Uh, It wasn't very nice either, as many of us could probably tell. Um, What would would we do? And he's human, so he writes a response that wasn't necessarily nice, but he gave it to Charles Spurgeon to read before he sent it to the paper to be published publicly. And Charles read it, and after he reads it, he says, this is well, well written. In fact, everything in this letter, this guy has it coming to him. It's not false. I got one critique, just one. At the end, when you put, you know, sincerely, or your brother, Newman Hall, at the bottom put author of, come to Jesus. And they both looked at each other for a moment, and Newman Hall ripped up the letter. How are we to tell a world, come to Jesus, when we talk about each other the way we do, when we fight the way we do, when we bring up things that in the grand scheme of things don't necessarily really matter. But yet, we think it's all that's necessary at the time. So Paul says, you gotta address the conflict. Verse three, yes, I ask you, true companion or a loyal yoke fellow. Now, we don't know who this is, Okay, um, it could be the elders here. It could be Epaphroditus. It could be Lydia. It could whoever it is. Again, Ross will shed light maybe next week on who it is. But we don't necessarily quite know. But he says address the conflict. Don't ignore it. Don't hide from it. Don't be an ostrich and go put your head in the ground. He says address it. A lot of us, what we like to do is we like to just kind of, oh, that'll, that'll brush off. I don't really want to say anything because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or I I would just hurt his feelings too bad or her feelings too bad. So I'm not going to say anything. I would say something I don't want to say. And we let the conflict stir. Now, conflict, let's be real, can be healthy. Not all conflict is bad, but unresolved conflict 
can go on and it can be very damaging. And so Paul says, don't hide from it, address it. Somebody who's a true companion, somebody who's mature enough, step in there and figure it out or help them figure it out. For Paul, the health of the church is way more important than the appearance of health. And so Paul is not going to let a church fall by the wayside because of, of Satan allowing them to rob uh, each other of their joy from disunity. So we all can be victims of that. We all can be victims of this lifestyle that is always bickering. And so Satan allows, uh, we allow Satan to rob us because of fractured relationships. Because relationships that can't be healed because we don't bring up the conflict. And I'm telling you, if the church is this vessel from heaven, and, and heaven is a place with no division and no disunity, then why do we stand for it now in the church? Why do we stand for that disunity now? One, because it's not easy. But no one said it was going to be an easy task. I mean, it wasn't easy for Jesus in the garden right before he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. But what, he, what did he do? He made the first step. So the fact is, somebody's got to make the first move. In a conflict, somebody's got to go first. And Paul says, someone better step in there, figure this out. One of my, one of my uh, Stephanie and I's favorite conferences for marriage is uh, love and respect. And if you've ever been to one, then you know at the end of um, um, Dr. Eggerson's speech or spiel, he goes into, okay, now you're in this cycle, this love and respect cycle, or this crazy cycle. You act out of Dislove, then you act out of disrespect in this cycle that goes on and on and on. Who's going to break us out? Who's going to go first? Because of, one of you's got to go first. And he's, his deal is, it's the more mature one that goes first. So which one is that going to be? And Paul just calls out the mature and says, step in there. Let's not let Satan rob our joy by disunity. The second thing I, I think he says is in verse 4, he says this. And following to the, through verse 7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The second thing that Satan tries to rob our joy and have us deny our citizenship is, is that you need to take a stand against worry. We need to take a stand against anxiety. Now, here's something that Satan is so silent on. I'm talking he beats us up with this every day. It's a silent killer. Worry, I feel, is one of the most, the, the biggest joy stealers there is. One, it finds its root in selfishness. And two, it says that you or God is not powerful enough to take care of what you're going through right now. What is worry? How, how, how are we going to define worry? I'll, I'll define it like this. It's anything that drains us of joy. 
Anything that drains us of joy and hinders us from rejoicing. What do we do about it? What's Paul say we do about it? I think he gives two things. He says, one, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. We have to understand Jesus is close. Jesus already knows what is going to happen. So much of anxiety is around this idea of the uncertain future, right? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't understand the future. I don't know what's at stake here. And so we are sometimes scared of change or scared of the unknown. And Jesus says, I got this. In front, back in verse 3, it says, we eagerly wait from heaven the coming of our Savior. There's our, he's at the end of our timeline, and he's got us. He already knows the outcome. The outcome is, last week Ross says, we win. So why do we worry? So the first thing we have to understand is that the Lord is near, and that will help alleviate some of this worry. And I think the second thing is really the drop kill. This is really going to get it. He says, pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Man, if we spent just as much time praying as we do worrying, man, we, would, we wouldn't have much to worry about, would we? So the prescription I feel here that Paul gives, uh, if, you want, if you're writing this down, write this down. The prescription is this, worry about nothing. Pray about everything and give thanks for anything. I know you may be thinking, man, Brent, I pray a lot. Man, I wake up in the morning, I pray. I pray for every meal. That's three times a day. That's wake up in the morning and I pray at night with my kids. I even make, is that six times a day that I'm in prayer, dude? Okay, I got this. Or you may be saying, I, I, I pray about the big stuff. In my life, I pray about the big decisions that I'm that I have to make. I pray about this. It's just the big things. Well, one of my uh, pastors always used to say, "Everything you talk about to God is little. Everything you say to God is little in the grand scheme of things of life. There is nothing too big for God to handle, and there's nothing too little for God's concern. So, in everything." We should lay down and offer our, our requests, thanks, and prayers to God. I, I think just the act of praying recognizes the sovereignty of God in his power over tomorrow. So just the act of praying will help alleviate your stress and your worry, but it also recognizes that God has power over tomorrow. It puts you out of the driver's seat and God into his rightful place as driver. And that alone will help you with your worry. What's the result if you acknowledge that the Lord is at hand? If you start praying about everything? Paul says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result is this peace, is that this mind at peace... Your mind can be at peace. Do, do you truly believe that right now? You may be sitting there and you may be thinking, man, how in the world can I have this peace that you're talking about? I have never experienced this peace that passes all understanding because I can always explain it. 
Paul says, if we truly know God is at hand, if we truly do pray about everything, we take a stand against the worry, the sucker punches that Satan pulls, then we will have this peace that passes all understanding. It's unexplainable. So, um, I have experienced this piece of that I can't explain. Obviously, it's biblical. I can't explain it, so I'm not even going to try. But my, but my, let me tell you, talk about my wife for a minute. My wife has this ability to possess this peace that is so contagious and is so real. Um, and I, it's kind of I kind of envy a little bit because um, if you haven't already known. Uh, my wife and I, our family, has chosen to foster a child. We are um, doing our home study on Tuesday of this week, and we are super excited about it. Um, but I would say excitement um, is, is an understatement for my wife. She is elated. But there's also, um, she'll also say, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but there's this peace around her. I don't necessarily, ha- I'm so, I, I, I need, I fall into this category of worry and of, and of anxiety. I, I need to give it up to the Lord, but my wife has done that and she has this peace. And I'm telling you, we, we can't wait to accept that little one into our home. We pray for that little one right now, wherever he or he may be. If he's in a crib right now being neglected, we pray that we can offer a, a home for him, a, a family to bring him home to, that you guys can love on this child. But I've got some worries. But my wife, she, she's got this peace that is unexplainable. And I know exactly where it comes from. It says that this peace will guard your heart. This is a military term Paul uses. He says, if you pray for everything, this peace of God will, will, will act as an army around your mind, protecting you from the devil's schemes. And so we move on to the third one. This final one that he gives in verses 8 and 9. We've probably all heard these verses before. It's such a popular verse. Uh, But Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think Paul's saying here, take a stand against negativity. It's another silent killer. Critical, cynical, and negative thinking. You've probably been around people like this. And how much joy it just sucks out of a room. Satan plants people like this in churches. I mean, that's, there's not a quicker way to suck a joy out of church than negative thinking. Sixteen times in the book of Philippians, Paul will address the mind or thoughts and here he springs it to a summation that says, protect them. Don't think negative things. In everything you do, drill your mind to think of everything around you that's worthy of rejoicing. 
whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, anything it is, find that and rejoice about it. In any circumstance, rejoice. This is not a call to remove ourselves from all the filth of the world. That's not what, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying it, to go on the offensive. He's saying to protect your mind, but also to, offend, to go on the offense mentally. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Let me go there real quick. I think it sums this up pretty good. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. What this is saying is we are not exempt from the reap and sow mentality, right? What we reap, we will eventually sow. If we put into our mind all these negative and bitter things, then we will sow bitterness. If we put in our heart negative thinking, things that will come out of our life will be negative. So how do we address it? How do we address this silent punch of negative thinking? I think really just very, very simple. How many times do you wake up in the morning and you just start reading Scripture? Maybe some of us have that discipline down. Maybe pray to God, help me with my thoughts today. I think that's one way. I think the other way is to practice spiritual disciplines. You're like, what's a spiritual discipline or a practice? Maybe that is meditation. Maybe that is um, fasting. Maybe that is um, reflective thinking on the scripture verse. It's called lecto divinia. Or maybe, maybe, um, I, I, we taught our teenagers this lesson just last week. It's called the awareness examine. And it's a spiritual practice done uh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, by, it's founded by Ignatius. And, and really, it is a reflective time that you thank God for your day. And it goes through these steps, and we can, you can Google it. It's fine. It's awareness examine. But the thoughts that go into our mind is important. And Paul says, take a stand against that negativity. Now, standing firm doesn't mean I'm telling you to stand still. It's you find one of these things. Maybe you're in a strange relationship Maybe husband and wife, there's conflict in there. Maybe there's a, a good friend of yours that you've been friends forever and you can't agree on something right now. Maybe you're in a fractured relationship. Step up. Take a stand against that disunity. It's a joy robber. It's a stealer. Paul says, figure it out. Maybe you uh, are allowing Satan to rob your joy by worry and you are worrying about just dead gum everything that you don't even have control over. There's things in this life that you don't even have control over and you worry about it. Pray about it. You ever th- Just give it up to the Lord in prayer. And, but un- also understand that he's near you and he always is near. And, and maybe you're one of those negative thinkers. And I'm not just talking about the glass half empty, okay? I'm t- talking about, man, you are just, you see the worst of people. You gotta figure that out. Paul says that will suck the joy, not just out of you, but the people around you. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, um, I don't have this joy that you speak of, Brown. What are you talking about? 
Joy is not happiness. Joy is being content um, in every situation, knowing that God's got you. And, um, and maybe today you don't um, have that. I, I don't think you do possess that without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you don't have that, I'd love to talk to you about how to start a relationship, kids, a friendship with Jesus, um, to receive that joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your immense grace and your love when we are unlovable. And we thank you for such an amazing sacrifice that you gave for us. God, I pray that you would help us take a stand against these things, the devil's punches, the devil's schemes. In your name we pray. Amen.